KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington. Welcome to the Steve on the Street podcast, a closer look behind the headlines as public policy and current affairs impact the real lives of real people. Hello and welcome to the Steve on the Street podcast. I'm your host, reporter and photojournalist Steve Kiggins. This podcast is produced by Northwest Now. Today we're talking about, well, optimism and maybe the lack thereof considering we're seeing a stark increase in violence across the world, not to mention the increase in anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim rhetoric. So today we're going to be covering a demonstration that occurred in November outside of the Federal Building in downtown Seattle, which included interfaith leaders who were supporting the Washington Solidarity Statement for Peace and Justice in Israel-Palestine. Here's that coverage. song and prayer, no matter their faith, dozens of demonstrators gathered in downtown Seattle in November, calling, begging for peace in Gaza. We don't have to be Jewish or Palestinian to be completely horrified by what we have seen and by what we continue to see. This is the right place to be. And we are here together. And I'm feeling that sort of presence when we come together and stand for justice and peace and morality. They are Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and more. This group of interfaith leaders and supporters joined voices with the Washington Solidarity Statement for Peace and Justice in Israel-Palestine, calling on Washington's congressional delegation and President Biden to de-escalate the violence in Gaza and demand an immediate ceasefire. Nowhere in the world should it be tolerated to see innocent people targeted. Not children, not babies, not women, not elders, not men. No civilian should be targeted. This is definitely a, uh, a very tense moment in a, um, really in, a, in recent history. It's probably the more, most intense moment that we've experienced. Reverend Andrew Larson knows the struggle for peace in the Middle East. Eight years ago, he brought his camera in Christian faith to the West Bank, producing a documentary, building relationships through his ministry, working with Peace Catalyst International. He believes peacemaking requires both the desire and effort to truly understand struggle. I think part of my role is to um, help uh, magnify the voices of those who are actually immersed in the situation and have people like me from, you know, predominantly white spaces um, here and understand what's really happening and how how people in these places actually experience what we observe. For those who cannot visit Gaza, plead their case, building coalition a world away while praying for peace that saves lives. Politics 
is getting in the way of morality and humanity. And we have to change that. And now we move to our conversation with Reverend Andrew Larson, who calls himself a peacemaker. He has spent a number of years heading to the Middle East, including visits multiple times to both Iraq and Israel, to try and understand the conflict between Muslims and Christians and Jews. And he brings along with him his curiosity and his faith and his camera, seeking truth and hoping to make peace through his work through Peace Catalyst International. Reverend Larson, thanks so much for joining me. You've got quite a fascinating story here and really can share some insight with folks here in the Northwest about what you see going on in the Middle East. Uh, if you can just kind of introduce yourself and share with our viewers what it is you're doing on those, um, I guess, pilgrimages. Yeah, thank you, Steve, for inviting me to share. And um, this is definitely a, a, a very tense moment in a um really in a in recent history it's probably the more most intense moment that we've experienced i've been immersed in um what i call uh peacemaking work both in israel palestine but also in interfaith community here in the u.s north america i speak speak to churches i also visit mosques um i seek to humanize our other so in church context, that's helping them understand and not be afraid of uh, Muslim neighbors. You know, and for some people, this is not a not a problem at all, especially in the in the Seattle area, because they, you know, coworkers who are Muslim, uh, we've been in the space of getting to know each other for a while, uh, but there's still quite a bit of fear and um, just kind of ignorance of the other community. Uh, in fact. You probably know this, there's been um, an increase in both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia since October 7th. The numbers are off the charts. Those groups that are documenting this um, are, they're, they're kind of articulating a problem that we have. So um, that's that's the space I work in. Talk about some of, um, I think what you mentioned is uh, your last trip through Peace Catalyst was to the West Bank. And I think you mentioned to Hebron and you were bringing folks there really kind of on a on the ground tour to show folks what the reality of the situation is. Obviously, this is different prior to October 7. But what is it that you see and what is it that you hope to shed light on some of these folks that are on that visit with you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, part of the problem uh, in in these days is that people inform their viewpoints and also vote according to a bubble that we've formed um, with the feeds that we uh, subscribe to in social media, the places that we visit and occupy, or, or that, that's a strange word to use in this context, but the, the things that feed our understanding. So um, early on in this um, this experience of trying to to help people um, educate and learn a little bit more normalize uh, or humanize rather the 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 person that they're afraid of um, immersive experiences getting to know people building those relational connections has been has been key and i've seen um 
uh, really important kind of pivots for people in their in their framing and also their understanding and relationships. So I was there just a year ago, uh, took a group from a local church principally. Actually, there was two, two church congregations that were represented in this tour. We, we visit many of the holy sites because tours to that area, they, you know, especially if you're from a Christian community, they want to go see, you know, those historic sites. But we also met with a group called Roots, which was established by um, an Israeli rabbi who has, um, he has a piece of land that's in this um, area that Palestinians can travel to as well. And he partners with a, um, a Palestinian um, friend. He's got a, a group of people and they give lectures, they give talks um, for people who would come to visit to try to understand both sides of, of that particular conflict. I've also worked with, and we we take groups to, um, you may have heard of uh, Parents Circle. Um, it's a it's a group that's, um, it, it's a sober sobering story. It's pairing together uh, a Palestinian Israeli who both have lost a family member to the conflict. And they have somehow figured out how to be in the same space together uh, reconciled in some way, or at least are able to talk about and leverage their own grief, their own pain, um, to decrease violence and to uh, to build relationships so that they can live in peace instead of animosity and, and vengeance. That kind of circles the entire purpose of your work, it seems, is to build that peace, to build that catalyst for peace. It almost seems at least by the layman watching from a distance, watching from cable television news in the U.S., that peace is probably impossible to achieve from this vantage point. But I I would guess you disagree. I would disagree, um, but I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I have an experience like um, my, my Jewish siblings, um, the stories, the history of the Holocaust, I haven't experienced the occupation um, since 48, the various different uh, waves of how Palestinians have experienced that. So I, I want to be cautious when I step into these places. Um, you know, I, I empathize as much as I can, but um, I think part of my role is to um, help uh, magnify the voices of those who are actually immersed in the situation and have people like me from, you know, um, predominantly white spaces um, here and understand what's really happening and how how people in these places actually experience what we observe. And probably the, the, the key to that tool is to really expose folks who may have built their own image in their mind about what that reality could look like yeah. uh, and expose them to what it really is what that life really looks like, what those well, frustrations yeah. really might feel like. It's, um, it's powerful. The, the, some of these experiences for people um, I've observed, um, and, you know, I've admittedly also um, have journeyed on that. So my initial experiences in the region, I, I was a little uh, fearful, reticent, you know, where could I go as a white person, as American with an American passport, clearly, would 
people in the West Bank receive me? Would they be, would they view me with, um, you know, some kind of, um, some kind of animosity, however that would be expressed. But um, when you begin then to see that, especially, especially in that region of the world, I've experienced such incredible hospitality and um, constantly, it seems like people are able to separate um, who I am as a person in that space from my government or my mm -hmm. culture. And they, especially in the West Bank, pe people feel um, seen in a little way, you know, that I'm just even there. I'm listening to their story. I'm, I'm and th they've taken that on as a, uh, is a very important point. But when I see other people then, so, um, I was in a mosque for an iftar a couple of years ago, and I, I had done a class in this church with this group of people before we went to go visit, um, trying to educate as much as I could uh, as an outsider, but still educate um, this particular congregation about uh, the Muslim community. And I could see this one person, you know, his eyes, his pupils were dilated. He had some real anger um, and this was maybe a few years after 9-11, uh, anger towards even the notion of befriending a Muslim. But he hung in there. And then when we went to the mosque for an iftar, you could just see this transformation. He made friends with a guy that had similar interests. They began this conversation. They were exchanging phone numbers. And uh, he, the, the Muslim brother that he feared was humanized. And it was, it was just powerful. That's what I get to do. The key to this thing is humanization. By sharing those those voices, hearing their stories. Storytelling is a powerful tool. Obviously, I traffic in the same thing. That's, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's your work, isn't it? And clearly yours. Have you seen a shift in a lot of the folks that you work with? Is there, do folks kind of approach you? approach the, these trips with trepidation and curiosity and come away with it kind of flabbergasted or is there is there a dramatic transformation with some of the folks that you bring along with you definitely in fact um just even um after the last tour that we did uh several people were we had one minister who whose father was palestinian from a very conservative church in um in the midwest she was a little, um, she wasn't sure how her story would be told when she went back. But there's just been incredible, um, again, kind of normalizing, or that's the wrong word, humanizing the Palestinian other that uh, people in that particular congregation in the Midwest had certain stereotypes and, and um, were, were afraid of. And um, and then other people have said that that particular trip um, really transform my life. And, you know, I don't want to over overstate anything, but I, I do see that um, the, the personal experience, the connecting, taking away some of the fear um, has been really important. Um, I don't want to diminish that there are, there are elements still that, um, you know, you, you don't want to be naive when you're going, going into a certain place. So there are certain things that you know, you just have to be cautious about and be aware of. 
Well, when you watch from a distance here with your knowledge and your experience and your all your travels under your belt, when you watch uh, the going goings on of today, gosh, what goes through your mind? Your mind? Yeah, um, it's a rough day for the work that I'm doing. I joke with people about having job security because um, we definitely um, have come to a point where, um, you know, like I said earlier, the the rise in Islamophobia, the rise in anti-Semitism are um, are really heavy things, and um, we are we're supporting. We're trying to help a family in Gaza um, immigrate because they can't. There's a three year old um, little girl in their family that has needs um, medical attention that they can't get in Gaza, but there's, um, they're stuck. You know, there's, there's over um, 1.9 million people in Gaza who are displaced. So um, their homes have been raised. Um, it's hospitals have been uh, destroyed. It's, it's most people I think would look at the, what has happened and, and be alarmed. I'm alarmed. Um, but, but Steve, there's also a little bit, and I, I hope not to be overly, um, optimistic, but I do see, um, people are more committed or, or at least see the necessity of an alternative, something different, more violence and more killing has not eradicated Hamas. It has not solved the problem of security for Israelis. Um, and, and life for Palestinians is, is worse than it was just a year ago. So I'm, I'm also very active here in the, the Israeli peace activist community, the Jewish peace activist community. And I haven't seen the, the level in the intensity of involvement, um, ever before. So Jewish force for peace has been incredibly active and there's, there's a lot of allies. We're finding each other. We're beginning to say um in some form not in my name either as an american citizen or uh many of the jewish people are are saying not in my name they're trying to uh, disentangle some of some of the things that happen and then that people would uh, tag them as being um you know the perpetrators of of something that they don't they don't want to own so i i have hope in that regard there's there's some tremendous um, new energy around this. Um, it's hard to it's hard to see kind of the step back and see the thirty thousand foot level. You know what is really happening, but I sense that there's some movement. Does this season feel different? This season, referring to what? Yeah. This reality we face today, what we see now, compared to years and years of conflict. Is it, does it feel different in terms of intensity and reaction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What, um, what, what do you see in that regard? Well, what, what happened in on October 7th, um, my Jewish friends say that um, this is the greatest number of um, Jewish people that have been killed, murdered since the Holocaust. 
and that stirs up uh, as i as i'm listening to my friends that stirs up um a lot of um you know i'm not safe kind of feelings mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. um but my my palestinian friends also so i'm i'm deeply connected to the christian community also the muslim community in the west bank um you know, they're, they're saying that the intensity, the numbers of people that have died, the number of um, demolitions, the number of um, incursions into... So in, in Bethlehem, there's two refugee camps where um, a, lot of, a lot of tear gas, a lot of midnight runs into the community, pulling people out. Um, it's, it's intense. It's very, very intense. And um, this year in Bethlehem, my good friend Munther Isaac, who's a pastor of the church right in Bethlehem, uh, Christmas Lutheran Church, said that they, the city of Bethlehem is canceling Christmas, which is which is just unheard of. So um, that becomes a place at this time of the year of of pilgrim, pilgrims from all over the world to go, you know, to the birth birthplace of Jesus. And uh, the city has basically canceled those celebrations, partly in solidarity with what's happening in Gaza, partly also of the knowledge that not many people will will travel to the region because of the conflict and the, the tension. So that I haven't I haven't ever heard of that. that perhaps in one of the intifadas, uh, something similar happened, but this is this is pretty intense. For someone not connected in. Um... In, in you know with your with your communities or really any of those that we're kind of describing here uh that live here in the northwest um might feel totally disconnected and see this as some kind of geopolitical um catastrophe that repeats every number of months uh but can you articulate the deep connection that is here that lives within our own community here in the Northwest every day that that makes it important that we pay attention to this? Well, the, um, there's just a few things that come to mind. Um, the Washington Solidarity Statement that I, I signed that was, uh, they were the hosts and kind of the coordinating group organization of the, the rally that you went to the federal building. Um, there's thousands of people that have signed that most of them from this region so it's um it's brought a lot of attention to this but also my my palestinian friends so there's there's a substantial palestinian community that's local here um some of the good friends have family still in bethlehem they have family in gaza i went to the mosque for prayers, um, this is part of the work I do as, as a Christian, um, last month, and there was a family from Gaza. And you just you just feel the, their heaviness because they, they have family that have lost their home. So there's there's a connection there. And then um, obviously the, the three um, monotheistic religions um, are connected because those are holy sites. And so it, it's a when you think of you know what's happening in in Congo or in um, Ukraine or other places, the demographic, the numbers are larger, perhaps in terms of the the travesty and the loss of life, but there's still this this 
um, connection to, to that land for a lot of people. I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, I think you, I think you do. I think, um, <laughs> I think, uh, it, it's clear that with, with the folks that you are connected with locally, it's almost, it's almost inescapable to not feel what they're feeling. And not well, every, every mosque. Yeah. Every mosque that you would step into anywhere in the world, they're tracking every little thing that happens in the Holy Land because the, um, you know, the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, those are very holy sites. Um, and so they're, they're very protective of those those regions, and so they are aware of what's happening. They follow it closely. I, I guess one of the last few questions I might have for you is your work with Peace Catalyst. What, I guess, where do you go from here? What's I mean, do you go? Can you go again? Right? Do you can you can you bring more groups of, of folks that are from the Northwest that are interested in you know disabusing that their ignorance or? learning more about, you know, what, what they fear or are we just not at a place there yet? Or has that forever changed? So, um, yeah, you know, this, is, people talk about this being intractable and a forever kind of thing, almost part of the DNA of, of people in that region. And, and that's, that's a fallacy. Um, obviously through history, there's been conflict between the different communities, but, um, there's also been um, long stretches of, of history where the people of the region, both Jewish, uh, Christian, and Muslim, have been neighbors. In fact, one of our good friends here locally, she says her family story. She was from Jaffa. Um, so in uh, in 1948, when Israel became a a, a modern state. Um, Palestinians call it the Nakba or the catastrophe. Her family was in Jaffa and it was her Jewish neighbors that came to her, came to her, her family's um, home and said, uh, this is not going to probably not going to end well, but just out of hospitality and love for them as, as neighbors, they said, it, it may be important for you to, to leave at least for now. You know, they didn't know um, kind of the outcome of what was going to happen. But um, I, I can't walk away from this. Uh, you know, that would be a little bit of a manifestation of white privilege where it's not involved. Uh, it doesn't impact me directly. But Nelson Mandela um, famously said, um, as a South African leader in anti-apartheid, he said, our freedom was incomplete until the Palestinians were free. And um, I feel that, I feel that um, until there's justice for the Palestinians and security for the Israelis, um, it would be at some level, um, you know, immoral is kind of a strong word, but it, it, it would be, I need, I need to, to be invested in this. This is, this is definitely, um, and we've, we've got, so many friends from trips that we've done there. We 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 can't abandon our our friends, um, and I I also think Steve that it's the grassroots. So we could hope for a diplomatic solution, but I do think that even so, one of the groups we work with, 
in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem, they, they take groups of um, professionals, religious people, um, secular people to the desert in Jordan, uh, equal numbers of, of Palestinians and Israelis to build relationships and to get to know one another. I think that long-term, part of the solution, significant part of the solution has to be in that kind of work where, you know, if there's a two-state or a one-state solution, they have to figure out how to how to live in the same space together, how to share our land and resources in ways that, um, you know, would follow humanitarian rights and uh, UN um, regulations for what it, what it means, you know, human rights, basic human rights. Um, so I'm I'm committed to this for the long haul. Uh, open mic opportunity for you. We've gone 22 minutes and 30 seconds already. <laughs> it's quite a bit, but um, open mic opportunity for you. Is there something you'd like to discuss we haven't had a chance to already? So can you explain that a little bit more? Well, um, we've already gone about 22 minutes. Uh, it's quite a bit. It's 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 It skims probably the surface, but this is an opportunity for you to have an open mic. Is there something you'd like to talk about we haven't had a chance to already? Hmm. The uh, gosh, the the work that I get to do um, really gets me out of bed every day. So there is this, there is this sense. So just the other night, I was down at the federal building for a, a vigil. We call it the longest um, night vigil, and there were there was a rabbi there. There was the mayor of Bothell, um, who's become a new friend. Um, Christian ministers, and there's something that happens when you're in that space together from different communities, and you you find friends that um, you, there's this sense of a kindred spirit um, because you're working for for a cause that really has a deep purpose and um, could possibly be part of the solution to the enmity, the fear, the hate, the rise in some of these. Um, trends that we're seeing today. And I, my wife and I, we were in Gaza or at the border of Gaza uh, with a group of Jewish activists a couple of years ago. And there's a similar feeling. We were internationals. We got on a bus with a bunch of Jewish peace activists and um, they were protesting the March of Return or the, yeah, the March of Return at that point. And um, you just feel their, their spirits are light. There's a, it's like, there's a, a, a clear conscience that they're doing something for a community of people that have been marginalized, that have been beaten up um, by the government that they, you know, the country that they live in. And there's something really, it, it really gives me a lot of hope. You know, when you meet people like that and you're in that space, um, some of the people from your own community look at you suspiciously. It's like, well, why are you hanging out with them? But but when you're there in that space with those people, uh, it's quite energizing and it, it just gives me hope, it gives me a lot of hope. Reverend Andrew Larson, really a fascinating individual with a really unique drive uh, to seek truth and understanding. Um, and additionally, quite a, uh, an accomplished photographer uh, and a video documentarian. 
Uh, he's got quite a few examples on his website, including uh, some access to those videos. If you're interested in checking out some of those, his website is worldlyholiness.com. Again, thanks to Reverend Larson for joining us today on today's podcast. And thank you for joining in as well. Always enjoy having you here for this, for this podcast. Appreciate you taking time. Again, I'm Steve Kiggins. We'll see you next time. Thank you.